Good morning, first service. We look a little bit more sparse this morning, but that's okay. We'll still bring the word anyway. Online, I hope you're packed. Welcome to Great Oaks. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm excited to bring the message this morning. Let's talk about this new sermon series real quick. This sermon series is called The Generous Life. And so this is going to be a four-week series for the month of November going through Thanksgiving. And the first week, we are preaching on a topic that every pastor just loves to preach on. And that's money. And I'm being totally sarcastic. So what we're going to do first is get some extra prayer for this message. So bow with me. Father God, we're just so glad we gathered this morning in your house. God, as we dive into the text this morning, we just ask that whatever comes off the pages to enlighten us, that it may just fill our heart and soul, God. God, as we, as we take the message this morning, may it be your words and not mine. May we just take this to heart, and may we just shape our lives around your word. Praise on your name. Amen. Money. Who's already uncomfortable? Anybody? Because here's what we're going to do. We're, we're all going to go ahead and take up a special offering right now. And how we do this is you grab the wallet of the, or purse of the person in front of you and you give freely. All right? That's what we're going to do this morning. All right? Just kidding. As we talk about money in the church, it's a, it's a touchy subject. It can be hard. It can be difficult. But here's the problem. Even as a pastor, I don't like talking about money in church. But the problem with me having an issue with that is it's still in God's word. And if it's in God's word, I, I shouldn't be uncomfortable about it. If it's in God's word, we should still be preaching on it and teaching on it. So I'm going to do my best to do diligence with the word this morning as we dive in. I'll let you know right now we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 most of the morning. That's where we're going to camp out. All right, online, grab a Bible nearest you and grab a seat on the couch. And let's get ready to dive into the word this morning. So as we talk about money this morning, let's start off with this small statement. Money is one of the few indicators of what's going on inside. Let's be real. Let's say you're going to go buy into a company, or you're going to invest in something. You're going to want to know what their quarterly statements are. You're going to want to know how they handled their money last year. You're going to look at that. Why? Because you want to see how someone spends their money and whether or not you trust them with yours. Amen? So, as we talk about money this morning, and we talk about the church, this can be rough. But it's one of the few indicators of what's going on inside. Not just an organization, not just a building, but even inside the individual. Let's be honest, we've all looked around at our neighbors and seen what they've been buying. We look two doors down and we, and we see the new boat and we're like, mm, if only I had that money. We look five houses down and we see the, the new car, or for some of you, the classic car, and we're like, oh, if only I could have that. So this morning we're going to talk about what it means to live that generous life from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But before I get there, let's talk about what scriptures outside of 2 Corinthians say about this subject. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this in verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that someone, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 
For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Those are some strong texts on money and giving. Keep your life free from money and be content with what you have. Man, that's hard. I think that's kind of the goal sometimes, though, church. Like, do we truly find contentment? What's that contentment look like? I'll be the first to admit I'm a very driven individual. Anybody agree with that you're a driven individual? Who, who has like a hardcore drive, got goals and plans? Absolutely. And sometimes when we, when we have that mindset, that transfers over into how we work and our money. Because we want to be able to provide for families well. We want kids to have great things. We want to be comfortable. But you ready? Contentment is not comfortability. There's a difference between those two words. Contentment is more of the satisfaction. So as we dive into this text this morning in 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to have to ask ourselves the question, how satisfied are we with the way we're generous? Because one of the marks of a mature Christian is generosity. Whether you like to believe it or not, one of the marks of a Christian is generosity. You guys all know the text. You guys all know the stories. Give him your tunic too. Give him your cloak. Take some time out of your day. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have all this in Scripture that we know that we're supposed to be generous to one another. And as Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, as we dive into 2 Corinthians this morning, let me give you a little bit of background here. The church in Corinth went through some hardships. They had some problems going on in that church. When you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, you kind of see it. And actually, when you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, a lot of us can read it and be like, hey, there's something missing here because you see a difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You see Paul talking about, hey, this other letter that he wrote that was more harsh, and you're like, I don't think that's 1 Corinthians. Most scholars believe that we have lost one of the letters to the church in Corinth. There's actually meant to be three, but we have two. So as we dive into 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 9, keep that in mind, but also know this is written to the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, says this. The, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, in all times, that you may abound in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Let's break that text down. Let's talk about that for a second. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. I think we know what that means. He who sows few will reap few. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Well, if you're a farmer in here, this might make sense to you. All right? Because to this guy, it pretty much doesn't make sense. Think about it. When you're planting the field, you throw out some more seeds, you might get some more crop. If somehow you throw out less seed and get more crop, you need to advertise that seed. Just say it. 
But that's what, it, that's what we're talking about here. And people in Corinth would have understood what this means. So what does this have to do with money? For God loves a cheerful giver. So let me break down a couple things this morning. I want to talk about bad reasons to give. All right? So strap in. Because they're in the text. Number one, reluctantly. Reluctantly. And you're like, well, Chase, what does that mean? Well, it's simple. As you sit in church or you're talking about giving money to some kingdom cause and you walk and you're like, man, I don't know if I really want to give. And you, and you pull out your wallet and you're like, eh, really, do I want to do that? Be like, you know, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I want to give to Jay's cause. I don't know. All right? So I, I don't know. And I, I, I have a hardship about that. That's not okay to give that way. When we give, we should be excited about it. I should be excited, like, man, I believe in this. I want to pour out more and more, so much so. Here, have a credit card. I mean, yeah, that's what we want to do. I'm excited about giving. Don't use that. That's how we should give. That's the heart of a true giver. The next way we don't give, another bad reason to give is boastfully. All right? Oh, hey, hey, hey. This is my wife's card. It's got like the biggest limit on it in the world. I'm going to give you thousands of dollars because that's how much I like you. And I think that God will love me for doing that. Okay, so there you go. That's not a way to give. It's not about us. It's not about you. Yes, I'm giving that to Jay because I trust him, not you people. All right. (laughs) That's another way we don't give. It's a bad reason to do it. Come in and be like, man, look at me in my awesome suit. I'm going to give thousands of dollars because that's what I have, and everyone should applaud me for it. Actually, in church, this is what you should do, and you can laugh awkwardly if you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to give so much money, I want my name on a plaque on my chair. I'm serious. We raised in that church, weren't we? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I gave so much money, the baptismal should have my name engraved somewhere on it. All right, and this pastor's actually seen this. I've given so much money, the communion plates are monogrammed with my family's name. And I want to be like, and my soul kind of wretches like, oh my goodness, I don't know how God feels about that. That's carrying what we have, the symbolism of the blood and the body of Christ, and we've monogrammed that with a name because you gave so much money? Man. We missed the point. But before I get about to the point, what the point of giving really is, let me talk about the third bad reason to give. And I'm going to explain this one. Begrudging submission. And you're like, whoa, Chase, what does that mean? Simple. If you're giving just because I'm up here telling you to give, and you're like, all right, this will make Chase happy. Here we go. That's a horrible reason. Please don't give for that reason. When we talk about bad ways to give reluctantly, boastfully, and just because the pastor told you to. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't be convicted by a sermon. But for the love of God, don't give because you want to satisfy me. Don't give because you want to satisfy Pastor Nate or Pastor Dan or whoever's on this stage. You give... Because we're supposed to have the heart of a cheerful giver and because we love God. 
and we love what this is all about. So those are three ways we don't give. So this scripture, as it goes on, as Paul is talking about this, he, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound. As it is written, he has distributed freely he has given to the poor. The righteous endures forever. I want to talk about that verse 8 for a second. That word sufficiency. Listen to it. And God has been able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things. All right? Because I'm a pastor and I, I spent tens of thousands of dollars to have some kind of education in this, I wanted to look at that word sufficiency and say, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? And in the, in the Greek, it's autarkeia, which doesn't mean, not, doesn't mean sufficient, even though that's the translation we have. It means we get freedom. It means we have freedom. And God is able to make grace abound to you so that having all freedom. And why is that important when we look at the scripture? Because knowing if we have the heart of a cheerful giver, if we have that heart, and we don't have that love for money, you find freedom. Because church, when we set ourselves a task list and how we should earn so much money and here's the gains we want to have from this year, not the losses we want to have, when we set our minds and hearts on things like that, man, that's a snare. And we're truly not free. Those are chains of bondage. Married couples in here, couples in here, let me tell you something. I've heard this statement a lot, especially when I do premarital counseling or marriage counseling. Man, if we just had more money, we wouldn't have these problems. That is a lie. That's about as much of a lie as this. Man, if we just had a kid, that would solve our problems. Okay? Those pretty much are on the same level. All right? And, and if you believe those, we'll talk later, all right? But I'm serious. Just having some more money would improve our marriage, improve our relationship. I will tell you right now, some of the happiest couples that I have personally ever seen walk in their marriage made between the two of them between thirty and 35000 a year. But they found a way to make it work and they loved each other. Think about it. Look back at your history and your family. We look back at some of the things that our grandparents' generation faced. And the lack of money they had, but somehow they loved each other and they never got divorced and they stayed together forever. I, I don't know. You might say, well, Chase, that's just because back then they didn't have technology. They didn't have any better options out there. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is this. They valued something differently than we do. I'm going to hit a touchy subject. Maybe the values right now that we face in our country today are shifting a little bit more than we would like them to. Maybe we're focused too much on success. Maybe we're focused too much on money and not about generosity and what it means to offer the hand out to other people. Maybe we're focused too much on being right and not enough about hearing somebody else. Maybe we're focused on too much anger and not enough God-given grace and love for another person. Because, yeah, you're right, we're talking about money, but guess what? Money's a heart issue. It truly is a heart issue. What have we decided to do? How have we decided to give? 
Because if we truly get in this mindset that, yes, it is God's, we have freedom. It's another chain of bondage that we've broken. Paul continues in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 with this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You might look at that and say, well, Chase, that's just another farming illustration or some bread illustration. I don't even know what this means. And here's what I want to hit at this morning with this text. Because there's actually more in this text than you think. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You might look at me and you might say, well, hey, the things that I make with my life, for example, maybe, maybe you do... You, you have a wheat farm. Maybe you have a lot of wheat. And you're like, hey, we make bread from the wheat. I own the wheat because I've, I've harvested the wheat. Well, what Paul's getting at here is this. Who owned the seed? Because guess what? It's not yours. Whether you like to believe it or not. Maybe you've toiled the soil. Maybe you've had, some, you've had a part in this. But it's not yours. God owns the seed. Let me give you a better example that we can all relate to today. Maybe what I'm saying is when you take your kids to the store and you tell your kids, hey, you can pick out a toy. You go to the toy aisle, you can pick out a toy, whatever you want. So let's just use a boy for an illustration because I know more about boy toys than girl toys. Let's say they pick out this awesome Hot Wheels. I'm sure Hot Wheels aren't popular anymore like when I was a kid, but it's the coolest toy when I was a kid. So this awesome Hot Wheels, maybe it's a nice Camaro. You know, everybody loves a Chevy, right? Amen. Yeah, all right, Ford people, get out. All right, uh, as, they, as they pick out this Camaro, this blazing cherry red Camaro, and you're like, man, that's an awesome car. And maybe as a dad, you're like, man, you see your son playing with it at home, and you're like, hey, let me see that. I want to I take it for a stroll for a second on the kitchen counter. And you hear your son look at you and say this, whoa, 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 it's mine. And I'm sure you want to look like, whoa, uh, I didn't see you pull out your wallet and pay for it. I'm sure you didn't provide for that. But guys, as we get so critical on our children, let's be honest, we do the same thing to God. Oh God, you can't touch this because I've done this work. You can't do this because this is what I have done to make sure my family has this. And God's going, whoa, who do you think blesses you? Who do you think provides this for you? Who do you think brought you that family? Who do you think did all this? Because church, ownership is never ours, it's his. We have to understand that and we have to make sure we remember it. Because we like to, because we're selfish people. We like to, hey, no, this is mine. I own this and it's not true. And if we truly get to that mentality that God owns it all, man, there's freedom in that. Man, it's relaxing a little bit. I'm not saying be careless and carefree, but what I'm saying is just imagine if we attacked our day, attacked our life with a little bit more of, you know what? God's got this in hand. I don't know how I'm going to make this work unless I work 12 hours of overtime. So I'm going to pull more hours and double shifts as much as I can. And maybe we just attacked with, you know what? God is going to provide for this. I'm just going to trust in him, take the opportunities he puts in front of me because he owns this. Because church, what we're called to be with our money and finances is not owners. We're called to be stewards. We're called to be managers. That's what we're called to be. And I have a, a feeling 
that if we all attacked our finances like that, that we're just managers of that money, we would be a little bit more cautious with it. We'd be a little bit more mm, focused on how do we handle it. Uh, guys, uh, I'm going to admit to you right now. Yes, I am preaching on a text on money. Don't for one second think I'm perfect at this. This is not like, hey, follow Chase's illustration and example. No, we're looking at God's word and we're saying, hey, what has Paul told us what we're to do? I'm working on this too. And maybe what we have to look at is, all right, how do I manage this better? Because let's be honest, some of us make really stupid decisions with money. Amen? No, no one's ever had that compulsive buy, really? No one's ever had that impulse and just bought something like, man, why did I buy that? No one. Oh, cool. Just me. All right, moving on. All right, fine. Let me tell you a story that just happened this weekend. I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to shame myself for a second then. You guys can all laugh at me. So I was at Costco. By the way, Costco is awesome. All right. And I was shopping in Costco. I was shopping around the perimeter of the store. And I usually get, you know, some, some bulk meat items and some bulk cleaning supplies and water because who doesn't buy water at Costco? And all of a sudden I saw this thing. And I'm like, that is awesome. And it's this huge, I should have took a picture of it and had it in here. Huge foam thing. It's like it's it's like this like it's it, the other version is called a love sack, and it like goes like four feet in the air, and it's like this foam thing you can lay on, sit on. Kids will dive into it, and I know like this this thing costs like four hundred dollars if you buy like the the real version. And Costco had their version. I'm like, that's not four hundred dollars. Hold on a second. Oh, I can make that work. I can absolutely make that work. And it doesn't cross that line where I have to call Megan to make sure she's okay with you spending that much money. All right. Boom. And I, was, and I get home and like, Megan's like, what is in this box you're carrying? I'm like, hey, it's 51 pounds of awesome. All right, because once you unzip this like astronaut bag, it explodes. And it's like, and this guy can actually sit in it and not bust foam everywhere. I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about it and you're like, man, that's stupid. Man, that's dumb. But like that, guys, that's how we get sometimes. That's how we are. I get it. I understand. Maybe sometimes if we just realize our money's not ours, it's God's, we'd spend it a little bit differently. And we would own a little bit more of like, hey, we have made mistakes in this. We're called to be stewards. We're called to be managers. So let me ask this question. Why is the Christian generous? Why is the Christian supposed to be generous? Well, here's what Paul has for us towards the end of chapter 9. Chapter 9, starting in verse 11, says this, You will be enriched in every way to be generous, in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I need to break this text down for a little bit. We need to talk about this. And maybe this is the best way to talk about it. Now, here's what we have to keep in mind. Because maybe some of you would love to be generous, 
but you've just made some really foolish decisions like I referred to a little bit ago. Maybe you're like, hey, I have a heart to be generous, but man, I have no control. For example, maybe you're like, Chase, I get it. We want to do this so badly, but five years ago, my husband and I went to Walmart and we decided to buy a share of the Cleveland Browns because Walmart sells everything, let's be honest. And so you made that horrible decision and you bought a share of the Cleveland Browns. And you realize that investment has definitely not paid off. And I don't even know how we got talked into it because we were like going to Walmart saying we need a couple gallons of milk and somehow we bought an ownership of one of the worst football teams known to man. But Walmart, it, it, it sells everything. Also, it's the closest thing to purgatory you'll ever know, all right? And, and this is the decision we've made. And you didn't even know they sold ownership there. And maybe you're like, man, I just wish I could be generous. Yeah, church. But first, before you decide to have that generous heart, have some self-control. Work on some discipline. I will tell you right now, that is why one of the biggest things I hate, but you've probably seen them. Maybe you've seen them. They're like new. There's now offering plates that have credit card swipes on them. That's a really bad idea. Why is that? Because the church should not be promoting more bondage in financial insecurity. It just shouldn't. That is why we talk about giving tithes and offerings. Yeah, we're hoping that you're giving online for your checking account or your first 10%, your first fruits, as we talk about from Scripture. If you're giving from your credit card, can I just tell you, and you're not going to hear another pastor probably say this, stop. Stop. That's not your first fruits. And also, it's probably got the highest service charge on it for you, so don't do that. It's not a good decision. But that's the kind of mentality we've gotten into is that's what it's all about. I want to be generous, but I made bad decisions, so let me throw myself into further debt. Maybe there's another camp in here. Maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I tuned out about 20 minutes ago, Chase, because let's be real. I give 10%, so I'm good to go. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that for a second, all right? When we have that heart, that I've given my 10% and I'm good to go, can I ask you a question? If that's our heart, can we truly say that God owns it all? Don't get me wrong. I, I love the fact that you're tithing and you're following some scripture and saying, you know what, yes, I want to tithe 10%. But you know what's funny about the New Testament? When I scour the New Testament, I don't see that 10%. Do you know when I scour the New Testament what I see? I see generosity. I see going above and beyond. That's what I see. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not the pastor trying to say, hey, we're moving that to 20. The bar, the bar is now 20. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. If you're a mature believer, you should know where your bar is. You should know what you should be giving. For example, Mark Batterson, who's a famous author, and he's the, the pastor at National Community Church in Washington. You know, in one of his books, All In, I think it is, he, he writes that him and his wife are reverse tithers. They tithe 90% and live off 10. Okay? First off, I've never sold a New York bestseller book, so maybe that's how it happens. Don't know. But man, that's ridiculous. But if that was our heart's desire, to give as much as we can, to be as generous as we can. And the reason that should be our desire is because we know that ownership is never ours, it's his. The reason that should be our desire is because we see this call to generosity. Because look at the things that comes from this. 
Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, this text can be taken out of context. Let me tell you what this text doesn't say. It doesn't say, hey, guess what? If you give so freely and generously, God will be generous with your new Bentley. That is not what this text says. What this text says is if you give freely, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous. What that means is God will keep providing ways for you to be generous. Maybe that's with your talents. Maybe that's with your time as we talk about that next week. Maybe it's with your relationships when we talk about that in two weeks. But when we start to be generous, God is going to help us give more. This isn't a reward system. It isn't, oh man, I actually got to 15% and like God's like, here's your helicopter. All right, it's not, it's not how this works. But what's funny is we set our kids up for failure. Who knows those awesome fundraisers in like elementary school? If you get all these sales, you get this awesome prize. If you get all these sales, you get this awesome prize. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, all right, if we sold 100 boxes of the candy bars, you got the Huffy bike. Who knows what the Huffy bike is? Everybody, all right, yes, somebody my same age, love it, all right? And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, if you only sell one box, you get the, 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 the string hand that slaps out. And you're like, man, how lame is that? But that's how we train people for this. And that's what we think in the church sometimes. Man, I'm giving so much. Why isn't God blessing me with all this possession? That's not what the scripture says. You'll be enriched in every way, which honestly, going back to that cheerful giver passage, you're going to find freedom, and that's what it's all about. So church, why is the Christian generous? Let's talk about it. Let's admit it. We are generous because God was first so generous to us. And how do we know he was generous to us? How do we know? You know how you know? The cross. That's how we know. Guys, this isn't a money issue. This isn't a finance issue. This is a heart issue. There's a reason why, you know, Paul writes that the love, for the love of money can be the root of all kinds of evil. There's a reason for that because when you love something that much, what you've done is you replace God. So it's no longer a money problem. It's an idolatry problem. And I get it, we've all been there. We've all had our eyes set on this prize of something that's great and grand that we want to have. But guys, in, in this life that we live in the Christian faith, what is more grand than the cross? What is more grand than the cross of Jesus? That from that shed blood, we get to spend eternity with him. Because you're ready Maybe you're saving up so much money because you want to go to this awesome timeshare or this awesome all-inclusive vacation. What better vacation is heaven? Okay, there is not one. I'm serious. The streets are made of gold. And if you find a city in the world that's made of gold, they've done some really bad money choices. So maybe that's how we got to look at it sometimes. Man, the prize is heaven. Paul tells us that in Philippians. That's the goal, to be heavenward. That's what I'm marching towards. So yeah, it's not a money issue. It's my heart. Do I believe that God does own everything? And let me close with this. Because money has been misused by the church. I'm going to admit it right now. Money has been misused by the church. We all know follies in other churches that we look around and we look like 30 years and we're like, man, they mismanaged their money. They did this. 
And as I talk to people, I hear people say, man, I, I'm scared about giving to the church because I don't know where the money's going. Let me tell you something. Because the church believes in this generosity principle so much here at Great Oaks, let me tell you what some of your money goes to. The church itself tithes. We don't believe like, oh, hey, here's Mike Hazelbush's offering. Chase gets 60%. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. If it did, that'd be really bad. Let me tell you how this works. Here's the tithe and the offering that's come in. Let's go ahead and cut 10% off of this and make sure we give, giving out these first fruits to our kingdom builder partners that we just had on stage a couple weeks ago. Let's make sure we're being the example as a church. And that's what we try here to do at Great Oaks. So as you talk about giving, another way the church has misused this. Ready? The cross is salvation. The cross is salvation. And you're asking me like, what, Chase, why are you saying that? Because you ready? It's not cross and the tithe. It's not the cross and the money. It's not the cross and the baptism. It's not the cross and communion. It's not the cross and church attendance. It's not the cross and something else. Because you know why? Because the only thing that gives us salvation, the only thing that clears our heart, and the only reason we know the generosity of God is because he gave us Jesus. That is what it's all about. So I'm going to apologize as a pastor if you've ever been hurt by the church because they've told you that salvation was the cross and something else. Because guess what? They're wrong and God has some words for them. Because what this is all about in this room is the cross. Yes, we're talking about money. But in order to be disciplined with our money, I think what we need to know first is, man, God is awesome. And God was so generous to us. So absolutely, I want to give all I can. Because he owns it all not me. He owns everything I possibly have ever had. That's the promise. Let's pray this morning. God, we're just so thankful we didn't gather here in your house. God, as we just talk about this text on some giving and some money, we know that at the end of the day, what it's truly about is having a heart that chases after your son. The fact that it's all about the cross and our response is to give everything we have to you. Our life, our sin, our money, our children, everything we have is yours. We're just managers and stewards. May that be our heart, God, because you were so generous to us. And that is how we know to live the generous life because we have the example that is Jesus. And may that be our witness and our testimony all of the days of our life. And everybody said, amen.